Welcome to the New Grace Sermon Podcast. New Grace exists so people experience new life in Christ. We invite you to connect with us on social media, at newgrace.cc on Facebook and Instagram. For more information or to support this ministry financially, visit us at newgrace.cc. Let's go into our series. We're preaching week two of the series, Not in This Alone. And we're talking about discerning the value of Christ-centered relationships and recognizing that we were never intended to do life alone. Look at Genesis 2.18 on the screen with me. It's our theme verse for the series. God looked at Adam in the Garden of Eden, and what did he say? It is not good that the man should be, everybody say it with me, alone. Everybody say it with me, alone. When your pastor gets up and he says, we're going to talk about relationships. And we're going to talk about relationships in such a way where nobody should have to do life alone. The knee-jerk reaction for most people in this room is this. Man, I sure am glad he's talking about that because I hope the people in this room are listening and I hope they get it and I hope they become better people so I can have better relationships. <laughs> this series is not about other people. This series is about you. This series is about you becoming a better person because you can't, you can't control anybody else. You can't change anybody else, but you can control you and you can change you. And I just believe God designed it that if you and I work on being better people, we will have better relationships. Tonight, I wanna take a look at the remedies for loneliness that we can control by way of what we're supposed to do. Kind of like last week, but I want to put another, I want to put another spin on it. The writer of Hebrews in chapter 3 and 13 said this, but exhort one another daily. A big old Bible word right there in the middle of that verse. Exhort. Exhort is another way of saying encourage. So when you see, when you see the word exhortation, just think in your mind encouragement because exhortation leads to another Bible word, edification. You're like, man, you are killing me with all these old King James Bible words. Encouragement leads to the building up of something. Somebody help me teach this tonight. It leads to the construction of something else. It is encouragement that builds up a relationship. Never underestimate the power of encouragement because encouragement can go such a long way. This room is filled with people and many of our lives took a positive turn because somebody somewhere spoke an encouraging word to us or an encouraging word over us. Many of us have had our trajectory and direction in life shaped by the encouraging words that jumped out of somebody's mouth into our spirit. On the contrary, many of us in this room have been shaped in a, negative, in a negative way because of a discouraging word that someone spoke over us or that someone spoke to us. The reality, ladies and gentlemen, is this. Encouragement is not always very natural for people. And many people instinctively speak with discouragement 
and, and, and they operate in relationships with discouragement because they are a product of someone else's discouragement. Oh, I wish somebody would help me teach this tonight. You cannot pour into a relationship what you don't have. And many of us brought some suitcases into the marriage and we brought some baggage into our sphere of influence and we brought stuff that mom and dad put in them bags and grandma and grandpa put in them bags and ex-wives and ex-husbands put in them bags and bullies put in them bags and siblings put in them bags and we wheel them bags right into round two of a life. And we just start unpacking when all we've ever heard and all we've ever all we've ever soaked in is discouraging things. And that's all we have to offer anybody else in our circle is discouragement. I wrote this down. God told me to tell you this. People who tear down have been tore down. You remember that when you want to hit somebody in the mouth. You remember, now it's hard in the moment but you remember that when you want to cuss somebody at work. You remember that when you want to bully a bully, when you want to hate the hater, when you want to talk about them when they are not around. I want you to listen to me tonight. I'm trying to help you. I'm going to help you with this. People that tear down, tear down because they've been torn down. All they know is discouragement. They know nothing about construction. They know everything about demolition. A discouraging person or a person that is a discourager will find something negative to say about something positive. Somehow, somehow, they will tell you what is wrong with a good thing. A discouraging person feels as though they need to pull others down in order to level out relationally. They do not want you to bask in the glory of a good thing. They would rather figure out a way to poke a hole and Swiss cheese your blessing and bring you down to a level that they live in roost on. If you'll pay attention and listen to a discouraging person talk, they have some way of always throwing in an I hate statement. Pay attention to people whose sentences start with the two words, I hate. All they, all they know and all they harbor and all they hold is hate. And the only way it ever oozes out of their ugly is when they talk. And they will start, they, it doesn't matter what it is. There are 50 things we could say positive. 50 things we could look at this thing from 50 different angles and say, I love that about it, I love that. This person will stand there and say, I hate you fill in the blank. A discouraging person will take pleasure in watching someone else's life crumble or fall apart because all they know is debris, damage, and demolition. And I don't think we're strangers this tonight because everywhere you and I turn, we see discouragement. We hear discouragement. We're faced with discouragement. You turn on the news and there's discouragement. You start scrolling through social media and there is discouragement. 
you, you get around people at work and they go to naysaying and nagging and they get all negative on you, it's a bunch of discouragement. Church should never be a place or a group of people where we are constantly pulling each other down, where we are constantly raining on each other's parade, where we are constantly scrutinizing, analyzing, and criticizing what God is doing. No, this is not a perfect church. And no, we do not have it all figured out. But I want to tell you something. It is a flipping miracle that this church exists. It is a miracle that God shows up in this room. It is a miracle that we have what we have. It is a miracle that we are still on our two feet. It is a miracle that people get saved in this room. It is a miracle that the Holy Ghost falls in this place. It is a miracle. There are a couple things I'm not okay with, but bless God, there's a whole lot I love about new grace. And I have to practice. Listen to me, I'm the pastor here. And I have to practice encouragement. Sunday is our Monday as a staff. And Tuesdays, well, Monday is not, is, we don't get a reset. It's Sunday, is Monday, and then Monday is Monday. It's not like it just automatically changes. We walk in on Monday and it's just that same ugly feeling you got on Monday is the same ugly feeling we got. And I have to practice my encouragement because as the lead pastor and the visionary of this church, I see things that are wrong. I see things that need to be way better. I sometimes I'm having to leave and I'm having to come back and I'm having to go to work on Monday. I'm like, all right, be encouraging. There's a reason in Staff Huddle, we have a whole section called wins. And the same Monday, I look across the round table at everybody and I go, tell me something good. Tell me a positive win. Bless God, if you can't think of one that's happened in our church, you better have one in your life. Tell me something good encourage one another daily is what the writer of Hebrews said. I want to be an encourager. I said, I want to be an encourager because people are repelled by discouragement and they are attracted to encouragement. They are attracted to a genuine source of encouragement. Some of y'all say, man, I don't even know what that looks like. I didn't grow up in a home with an encouraging father. I do not work with encouraging people. And I feel like the only glimpse I have of any encouragement is when I get in this room with these people. But I don't even know how to be what you're talking about. I don't know how to reverse this curse of being a discouraged, discouraging person. How do I become an encourager? How do I build others up instead of tearing everything down? How do, I, how do I speak positive things over people instead of negative things about people? How, how do I get to a point where I can continually seek God's good in a situation instead of always looking for what's fleshly wrong with it? I wanna talk about joining the ranks of the encouragers. I want to help us help our relationships, our marriages, our friendships, our ministry partnerships by learning how to be better encouragers. 
as the Spirit of God has equipped us. See, my Bible and your Bible, it is filled with examples of different people who mastered. They mastered this thing of encouragement. I, I think of King David. You know, there was a time in David's life and people were always attracted to David, but there was an interesting time in his life where in the very worst moment, where his life was the closest it could have been to falling apart, in 1 Samuel 31, the Amalekites came while David and his men were at battle, took the wives, took the children, burned the city to the ground, and David gets back there, and all the people actually spoke about stoning him. And they blame David for what happened. And the, I love this verse. It has helped me. The Bible says, David encouraged himself in the Lord. David encouraged himself in the Lord. Can I say sometimes you got to be your own cheerleader. Sometimes you got to pat yourself on the back. Sometimes you got to give yourself your own pickup. I want to remind some of you in this room, if you are all you have left, you still got enough left in you to encourage yourself. The spirit of Jesus resides in you in the form of the Holy Ghost. And bless God until you learn how to encourage yourself, you ain't got nothing to offer anybody else. David encouraged himself. And God intends for you and I to be this kind of person. I think, I think of Caleb and Joshua. They, the Israelites go to spy out Canaan land. They send 12 spies. They're over there for 40 days. This is supposedly the promised land that God wants them to inhabit and inherit. And the 12 come back. And Moses and all the chief leaders are like, all right, give us a report. And they're all kind of in agreement. All 12 of them, they all kind of say the same thing at first. They're like, man, that land, that is the perfect territory for us, set, for us to settle and make home. And then 10 of the 12 said, here's the problem, though. The people that are over there, they are a strong people, and the cities are walled up. And also, we saw the children of Anak there. Anak, Anak is a giant. We, we saw giant people. We, 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 saw, we saw people that make Robert Waters look like a midget. Stand up, Robert. Robert was a little guy over in Canaan in Numbers 13. <laughs> and, they, they, and they started giving a negative report discouraging the people about trying to seize the promised land. And you got Caleb and Joshua who, who could not get their eyes off the fruit of the land. They said, oh, whoa, whoa, hold, hold up. You might have been looking at the giants. We was looking at the grapes. We, we saw clusters of grapes so big that two people had to haul the branch off like in the cartoons when they're carrying a coyote. They had to carry the grapes back over the river. That's what we saw over there. And they had, they had an encouraging spirit and they could never remove themselves into a place of discouragement. They constantly and continually sought to encourage what they had seen in the promised land. In the New Testament, there is a, there is a man 
He's a church leader in Jerusalem, and his name is Barnabas. Now, you lose, you lose Barnabas in the book of Acts because you have people like Paul. And so Barnabas is always in the shadows. Barnabas's name means son of encouragement. He was literally known as an encourager. Like that's who he was, that's how he was known. How would you like to be known as an encouraging person? Because a lot of people are known as discouraging people. You got to put the disclosure on them when you introduce them to people. You got to read people the fine print about them when they're not around. Some of y'all look real religious tonight like you don't know what I'm talking about. But an, an encouraging person to be known by others as a source of encouragement. Barnabas, Barnabas was this kind of person. And I dare to say that every single believer in this room tonight can be an encourager that builds up relationships just like Barnabas did. And I'm gonna actually show you from the Bible how he did. Let me give you a quick word, Romans 14, 19. Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace and things wherewith one may edify or build up another. 1 Thessalonians 5, 11. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify. There it is again, build up one another. An encourager is an asset to a relationship, not a liability. You're gonna be known for one of two things, the problems that you created or the problems that you solved. And you have an opportunity to change who you are, be what you need, and become an encourager. And this, this example that we need is actually laid out in the highlights of Barnabas's life. I'm gonna give them to you very, very quickly. There, there's an interesting thing that happens in Acts chapter nine. Before we get there, let me give you the context. Acts nine is very interesting because a lot of people know Acts nine as the testimony or the conversion of the apostle Paul. His name was Saul before it was ever Paul. And not King Saul in the Old Testament, I'm talking about the Pharisee, the zealous Jew named Saul. He was a murderer of the Christian church. Acts 9, he gets saved, converted, becomes a follower of Christ, joins Christianity, and he begins preaching the word. Now, you got to understand, this guy was just killing Christians, now he's one of them. So you can imagine the Christian church is a little hesitant about rubbing shoulders with this guy. You know, if Paul is hosting a small group, nobody's registering to go. You understand what I'm saying? It literally says that the disciples are afraid of him. The disciples, meaning all them people that have now trusted Christ, are like, hey, we get it. We seen your Facebook story, you saved, we get it, you're preaching. But do it over there. And man, this jumped out at me in a big way because at the tail end of his little conversion story, where he's talking about everybody being afraid, verse 27 says this. Look, look what the guy who is known by his encouragement does. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. And then he started sharing Paul's testimony, how he got saved and how he was now preaching. I wrote this down. Here's the first note that you need to make. Encouragers build up relationships because they are open to other people. Encouragers are open to other people. 
Isn't it interesting that all we know is Paul and nobody ever remembers Barnabas, but it was Barnabas that opened up his heart and his hands to receiving the guy that nobody wanted anything to do with. The encourager was open to somebody else. What are you trying to say, Pastor Derek? He gave him a chance. He gave somebody else a chance. Do you know why he gave somebody else a chance? Because Jesus gave him a chance. Oh, you're not hearing me tonight. He could not have Jesus and the grace of God give him a chance. He could not have other believers give him a chance and then close himself off to the potential and possibility of what the Apostle Paul and this relationship could be. By the way, he did not hold Paul's past over him. I guarantee you he never reminded Paul of how many families that he killed. He never reminded him of how many synagogues he burned. He never reminded him of how many people he persecuted. You know why? Jesus didn't hold Barnabas' past over him. So who was Barnabas to hold Paul's past? He was open. It literally says he took him. And he brought him in. I wrote, I wrote this down. Barnabas did what most people will, in a lifetime will never do. He opened up his circle and brought somebody else in. I, I, need, I need some help. I need to make a circle real quick. I need, come on, Hank. Come on, Hank. Come on, Kevin. Come on, Scott. Come on, Kevin. Other Kevin. Come on. Come up here. Y'all come up here. I ain't coming to you. Come to me. Come on, Macron. Come over here. Make a circle. Just face each other. Make a circle. Four of y'all got to figure out how to make a circle. Macron, come over here. Come over here, Macron. Make a circle. Not a moon, crescent moon, a circle. Most of us, let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. There was a time in our life we didn't know nothing about Christianity. We didn't know nothing about God-centered relationships. We, we, we didn't know anything we didn't know anything about circling up around Jesus. We didn't know anything about building our lives, our relationships, our marriages, our friendships. We didn't know anything about this. And it, God used, for many of us, God used new grace to introduce us to the power of a circle. When Jesus is the nucleus and he is the center, honey, you got a powerful circle. The problem with this circle is closed. Because it's closed, they've never noticed Macron standing over here. An open, everybody just stay in a circle, but turn around. You guys are pretty smart. <laughs> the difference between a closed circle and an open circle, an open circle is still a unit. It still functions together. It still meets together. It still goes to each other's houses and has fellowship and still has chicken wings and nachos and Bible studies. It still, it still hosts groups together and it serves together. It still does all this together. The difference between a closed circle and an open circle is an open circle is looking for someone on the outside to bring them in. They're looking for people like Paul. They're looking for outsiders. They're looking for people who are disconnected and need to be connected. Y'all swap back to a closed circle. Many of us come to church like this. We've got our circle. We've got our four, our no more. 
Many of us, are, we come from a religious background that taught us, you don't smoke, dip, or chew, or run with those who do. And we got our religion, our religion got us closed off. Our religion got us closed off, and Jesus opened us up to forgiveness, mercy, and grace. And some people are a lot like you and your pastor. They need another chance, and another chance, and another chance. It's not, that it's not just that he's missing out, it's they're missing out turning it back around. God wants you to meet, to gather, to grow, to go, but he wants you to do it openly. Here's my, que here's my question. Turn back around, close circle. Do, this, is, this is for you. Do you even notice the circleless people? I cheated tonight. Instead of devoting myself and submerging myself in a room and praying and getting locked in, laser focus, I snuck in the back and I stood there and I watched. And I just looked at the back of people's heads and I, maybe I missed it. Maybe, maybe y'all were all connected and talking to each other. Maybe some of y'all were getting up and practicing what Jesus would practice and walking around and talking to people that you don't know and saying hey and making sure that people feel welcome because there may be somebody who's got a pistol sitting under a seat and they're ready to end their life. And they said, you know what? I'm gonna give God a chance and I'm gonna give this church thing a chance and I'm gonna give this, this grace thing a chance. And they came in here tonight because they just need another chance. And, and you didn't notice because they're not in your circle. But an encourager goes looking for a murderer. Nobody's off limits. You open that circle up and you're looking. You come, oh my God. I, sometimes I just wish I was a member of a church. Yeah, 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 just a member, not, not, the guy, not the guy they expect to do all that stuff. I don't do what I do, and I didn't do what I did because I was the pastor. There was a time where I was just a regular member who loved Jesus, who had his word, who was learning of his spirit, and I loved people because I knew that a 100 years from now, it will not matter what kind of car I drove. It won't matter what kind of house I built. It won't matter how many shoes I had. A 100 years from now, the only thing that'll matter it's did they go to heaven or did they go to hell? I was a man on a mission. I went to church somewhere this morning and I just act like a normal member. I knew the vision statement of the church. They said it and I, he, he asked everybody to finish it and 10 people finished it and I was one of them. He said, life is better. I said, connected. People looking at me like, that guy come out, that guy, that guy just jumped out of jail, walked up in here and learned the mission statement. Thank y'all. Encour encouragers do what Barnabas did. They have an opening up of the heart and the home. You want me to keep going? There's a revival. If you follow Barnabas' life, don't get ahead of me yet. Don't get ahead of me yet. 
if you follow Barnabas' life, there's this thing that happens with him and Saul several times, and you see a relationship forming. All because one of them decided, I'm going to be the encourager here. And there's a, there's a revival happening in Antioch. And Barnabas is in this revival. You know what he does? He leaves it. He goes to Tarsus. Oh, I should have done the math on how far Tarsus is from Antioch. Because you know they didn't have Lyft or Uber. And I doubt he was taking a chariot. He probably went on foot like most missionaries and evangelists did. He went all the way to Tarsus to find Saul and brought him back to Antioch and put him right in the middle of where the action was happening. He didn't just bring this guy in with openness, but this encourager built this relationship up because he became opportunistic with the person that God had put in his life. He saw this as an opportunity and he included Saul in the action of what God was doing. My mind went right back to after I trusted Christ at the age of 18. I, I was this excited, fired up young man sitting on the front row of the church. And there was another young man that was on fire for God. He was about four or five years older than he he noticed me and I saw him looking at me and I acted like I didn't see it. And he came over to me and he said, I've been watching you and you're missing something. I said, what am I missing? He said, I hear you shout. I see you clap. I know you're excited. You need a Bible. I've never seen you bring a Bible. And I said, well, I don't know what kind of to get, like, I don't, I don't know anything. He said, well, don't worry, I already got you one. This is yours, and he gave me a Bible. He said, what are you doing this weekend? Now, I'm, I'm a Christian now, so my weekends have changed. He said, what are you doing this weekend? Uh, I, I, nothing, I don't know, I don't know. He said, Friday night, there's a revival about two hours away. I want you to go with me. I said, okay. We went to this revival. It was packed. It was, it was packed so much there were actually teenagers sitting on the floor. And we edged up through all the people in this place. And he sat us on the front row. Squeezed in on the front row. And I, and I was right there. And it was, like, it was like this, except it was, they were in like night four or five. So it was already lit up in that place. Thick, I mean thick, thick, cloudy, thick with God in that room. So thick you could cut a slice of it and take it home with you. It was thick up in that place. And that was just the start. He started taking me to revival after revival. He looked at me one Sunday. He said, hey, we're going to the upper room and praying. They had an upper room in the church. He said, I want you to come with me. We walked in there and closed the door. There was about 12 other men up in there, all of them younger. I was the youngest. I was 18. And one of them stepped in the middle and said, all right, guys, let's pray. And they all just went to praying out loud. Nobody leading in silent prayer. They all went to praying, talking to God. And I'm standing there. And I just bowed my head. And I'm like, what he said, what he said, what he said, amen, what he said. About four weeks went by. I was praying out loud. Couldn't hear me. 
I didn't know, I didn't know God put leather lungs inside of me. I didn't know that at that time, but I started, I started learning how to pray out loud. They do Sunday night testimony services. You know where, where it gets real good up in there and the preacher goes, somebody got a word tonight? Somebody stand up and testify. You know, people stand up. I just want to thank the Lord for saving me. I love Jesus. I love his word. I've heard, I've heard just all, all, all that. I want to thank God that he came to where I was. And I'm just sitting there listening to it. And all that stuff's igniting. And that boy next to me stood up and said, I want to thank God that he came to where I was and smiled upon me in my sin and lifted me up out of a horrible pit. That boy went to preaching. He turned around and looked at the car, turned around and looked at the congregation, went to pace him back and forth in front of the front row. He said, I want to thank God that he looked at me and thought that I could be a preacher when I thought I was disqualified and unqualified. And he put a call on, he went to preaching. I went to shouting him on. He sat down, I thought, surely they're going to fire up a song or a sermon. And the preacher said, anybody else got a testimony? Before I knew it, I was on my feet. On my feet going, I don't know what the heck I'm supposed to say right now. I just followed him, and I just kind of did whatever he did. And there's some things that are taught, and there's some things that are caught. But you can't have taught, and you can't have caught, unless you got the power of a pair. Barnabas knew the power of a pair, and he just kind of grabbed do you think he knew this would be the greatest preacher outside of Jesus Christ? Do you think that guy who discipled me knew that I would go on to pastor this church and we would have this together? By the way, I'm preaching at his church in Winder, Georgia in two weeks on a Sunday morning. It, 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 if you just, you got to follow this. Like, this is why you need, this is why half y'all need to host a small group and the other half you need to go to the groups that they're hosting. Because you'll take this kind of stuff and go so much further with it than I'm going to in this sermon. It's interesting because the church is selecting people. I'm, I'm, I'm going to go real quick here. The church is selecting people to send into evangelism in Acts chapter 13 and they pick, guess who? Barnabas and Saul. I don't want to get ahead of myself in the next Sunday sermon, but it's interesting. Come here, Hank, help me out again. I'm going to put you to use tonight. Stop right there on that step. It's interesting that Barnabas started right here with God. Saul started right here. But if you follow their storyline step by step, Barnabas is encouraging Paul to get on his level. And by the time you see the end of the story, oh God, by the time you see the end of the narrative, it is Paul who is beyond Barnabas. I'll go ahead and say it, teaser for next week. Your ceiling should be your protege's floor. Oh, some of y'all gonna need to eat dinner and get that. You didn't hear me. Your ceiling should be their floor. 
If you follow this, thank you, Hank, if you follow this, you see him including him, you see him inviting him, you see them paired together because it was initiated by an encourager that decided to pursue someone on the outside of the circle. You know what I did? I grew and I grew and I grew and the fire grew and my knowledge grew and my study grew and my walk grew and my integrity grew and my character grew. And then one day, Jeremy Clanton looked at me and he goes, now, it was, like, it, was like a, it was like a proud mama bird. He was like, it is your time. <laughs> like literally, we're out in the church parking lot and he acts like, it's like real serious. Like I think he's like going on a mission trip somewhere, you know, never coming back. He's like, it's time. Everything I just did with you, I need you to go turn around and do that with somebody else. And so the next Sunday, I'm open circle. I'm in my circle. I'm still talking to the same people. I'm still hugging the same neck, shaking the same hands. But, but, but my radar is on, and I'm looking. Who can I include? Who can I include in this circle? And lo and behold, there was a first-time visitor sat in the back by himself, my age. I had never seen him before. And I said, I am going to pay attention to this guy I'm gonna go meet him, I'm gonna get his name, I'm gonna do what John Maxwell said in his book, I'm gonna remember his name. And when I talk to him next week, I'm gonna repeat his name to him. Not like a robot, hello Craig, I'm going to use his name to let him know he was important enough of a soul for me to remember his name. And then I started that process with Craig. And I said, Craig! I am the proud driver of the church van and I go pick children up and bring them to church on Sunday and I need a van partner. And God told me to tell you that it's you. <laughs> I've been using that whole God told me to tell you a lot a long time. <laughs> I poured into this guy and we would go, I'd take him to revivals, put him on the front row. We sang in the choir together. We'd go around for neighborhoods and pick kids up. Didn't know what the heck we were doing. My God, some of y'all, you've heard me tell these stories. They're, they're absolutely atrocious. I didn't know what I was doing. I was thrown to the wolves, given a church van and a big old bag of candy. We'd pull into the cul-de-sac on Saturday to try to recruit for the next morning. We'd swing that sliding door open on that van, hold that bag open and say, hey kids, who wants candy? Fifteen passenger van. We got twenty-two kids on the van. And half of them got saved in the first four weeks. And no, you can't have the keys of the van or any candy. Come on, JJ, help me close. You know it's interesting. It's interesting. You see this one guy who leverages the power of encouragement and a beautiful relationship is created. But again, the Bible is filled with reality, not fairy tale. In Acts 13, Paul and Barnabas are on this missionary journey and they got a guy with them named Mark. And for some unspecified reason, Mark 
leaves the missionary journey prematurely. We don't know why, he just leaves. And Paul and Barnabas are left to do the ministry together. Two chapters later, Acts 15, they're about to go on another journey and Barnabas wants to take Mark with them. But Paul does not want to take Mark with them. And it is over this judgment call that the two part ways. In fact, the Bible says in Acts 15, 39, look at it. It says the contention was so sharp between them that they departed asunder one from the other. So Barnabas took Mark and he sailed to Cyprus. Like Pastor Derek, you're preaching on encouragement and you're gonna throw us a discouraging scenario to close your sermon? No, I wanna give you reality and I wanna give you I want to give you the full scope of how powerful encouragement was meant to be. Contention and division. It happens. Somebody nod your head. It happens. It's inevitable. Not with every relationship, but with some relationships. There will become, there will come times when there may be division. Why, why is that? Because no relationship is woundproof. Any, any group any couple, any marriage, any engagement, any co-working relationship, any partnership, any ministry relationship, any church, anybody can be wounded. And sometimes contention and division happen. But I wrote this down. God told me to tell you this tonight, New Grace. How you handle division with another believer reveals your true character and your true level of spiritual maturity. Encouragers build up relationships because they are overcomers with other people. If you follow the story from their division, you don't ever see a scenario where they're actually working together again. But I believe that the Holy Spirit allowed an encouraging spirit to overcome despite the division. And let me tell you why. Are you ready? I'm gonna throw some Bible at you. You go study it on your own. The work that both of these men did for Jesus never stopped. It never ceased. It never quit. In fact, what was happening with the two of them got split in half and it was double trouble for the devil. Oh my God, you're not, you're not hearing me. Instead of both of them being right here, now you got one over here making a difference and one over here making a God is so sovereign and God is so far above division and contention that even when it happens, God is so much God that he will still accomplish the good pleasure of his will despite our division. Here's, here's, another, here's another thing I'm chalking up with this. God must have really wanted Barnabas to help Mark. Could it, could it have been, Pastor Jeff, could it have been that Barnabas was the tool and vehicle used to propel Saul into his calling? And then when God was done, regardless if Paul or Barnabas was done, if God was done with that, 
God's like, God's like, I got that. I'll take care of that. He's going to keep doing his thing for me. I got somebody else. Remember that boy that dropped out halfway through the race? Remember old Marky Mark? I need you to pick Mark up. And what you did with Paul, I need you to do it with Mark. I need you to pour into him. I need you to love him. I need you to open your soul. Go find Mark. Go find the boy that has been cast to the side, the boy that nobody wants, and go, go bring him in. And it must have worked. It must have worked because Paul's letters give away some things. If you read the letters Paul wrote, he actually says, this is good. He says, hey, make sure y'all bring Mark with you because he's profitable. The dude that dropped out earlier and was no good for the ministry, years go by and Paul says in his own letter, make sure you bring him, I need him. I guess Barnabas's mentorship program worked pretty good with old Mark. It even concludes in one of his letters, Paul mentions Barnabas by name, salutes him and brings honor upon who he is. Here's the takeaway about being an encourager. An encourager will constantly seek to build up and not to demolish. Encouragers don't just build, they rebuild. Can we just, can we chalk it up that people are gonna get damaged along the way. People are fragile goods. And some of the cargo gets damaged sometimes. Let me tell you what an encourager does. Despite situations and division, an encourager is constantly seeking to build up and rebuild. Build up and rebuild. Their words, their actions, their character, their integrity, their deeds, their heart, their life, they build up relationships.